the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth. As we head into Hour 2, it is a privilege to bring back to the show our Congressman, Representative David Schweikert. Boy, days like this were meant for you, David. I bet you're uh, you're going to have a long one here, buddy. I bet you're going to uh, have a long one. I think they're all long Yeah, right I now. guess that's yeah, right. I apologize for last Wednesday. I'm laying in a dental chair. I had, uh, broke a tooth apart. Ooh. And it was one of those of... Uh, what happened uh, to the other guy? Think, yeah, yeah. Well, this one is my jaw clenching. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, that and far too much candy as a child. Hazard a pay. <laughs> hazard pay. We're all going to need... I, I, I guess this government might give out hazard pay for all we know. Next thing we know. No, no. The, the, the number... Um, the Democrat Party is a party of... It's the subsidy party. They will find a way to try to buy voters. And as supply siders, we want there to be more product, more opportunity, more of this. And you see it once again. Um, but the student loan one is really cynical if you start to dig into who benefits. And who has to pay for it? This there are so many levels to this, and I and I I was kind of um, I was kind of worried about even throwing one of these thoughts out to you because there's probably nine hundred that are more important. But I'm just sitting here thinking that a married couple of two that makes two hundred and forty nine thousand dollars in New Orleans is getting a bailout from a single working mom who makes $150,000 in Manhattan. Yep. Okay. Hey, hey, look, um, but let's be, let's have a moment of honesty here. Okay. In the last, since about 2018, the voting dynamics have changed in the United States. Um, that well-educated, moderate, liberal, urbanite, suburbanite is now voting for the Democrats. The working class, that hard-working sort of base of America, um, they have shifted, as you even see with working-class Hispanics, they have shifted to voting for Republicans. This is a, another opportunity for the Democrats to say they're going to subsidize the people that support them, that write them political checks, that vote for them. And the demographics hold up on this argument. And basically, you don't vote for Democrats, you get screwed down. Right. Um, it, it is sort of the ultimate type of pay for play because they don't just do it for, well, they did it for, um, ship companies and, and those sorts of things, but now they do it on a grand scale to millions and millions and millions of people. David, uh, I want to talk about what it's going to do to inflation and the economy in a second, but before I do, I was also marveling, I mean, as I say, a lot of layers to this, I was also marveling at the legal basis they used to justify this, which is the national emergency of COVID-19 grafted onto the HEROES Act, if I understand this right. And this would be the same COVID-19 emergency that this administration said ended in May when it came to using it to enforce the border. 
Do I have this about right? Yeah, you're going the right direction. Okay. Um, I, I, last November, um, I introduced a piece of legislation to declare the pandemic over. And this is one of those moments where a lot of our own people, you know, they wanted to talk about mask mandates and vaccine mandates and this and that. I kept saying the universal solution is we have, you know, we, we have vaccines if you want to use them. You have antivirals if you want to use them. We have these things. It's no longer a pandemic. The reason the Democrats so desperately wanted to keep the declaration of the pandemic is one, so they could proxy vote on the floor of the House. Remember, we've had votes where as many as a third of the Democrats don't show up to work. The other thing is this. Do that again. That's important. Do that that show up for work thing again. This this is a oh, big, yeah. yeah. Uh, when the pandemic began, there was a House rule pushed through by Nancy Pelosi that said, well, if you have COVID or you are fearful of COVID, you don't have to show up to work. Right. You can hand your vote to <laughs> right. someone else. Now, I believe this is absolutely unconstitutional. Right. That, But, you know, getting courts to enforce a separate branch of government's rules is very, very difficult. So now we have lots and lots and lots of members of Congress who say, eh, I'm not going to show up to work and because technically I just might be fearful of COVID even though I'm in Rome on holiday. So we get lots of this sort of stuff. You know, we have one member of our own delegation here in Arizona, a Democrat, who was on a boat, you know, and he's proxy. Now, in that case, it was a committee. He was proxy voting through FaceTime. Yeah. But they hand their vote to another member. And so we have, and that was one of the things we tried, but we didn't have, the numbers just came shy. We were going to try to deny them a, um, a quorum the other day. And so there may be some quorum legislation or lawsuits coming, but, those are inside the beltway sort of antics. But by keeping the declaration of the pandemic alive, it not only they don't have to show up to work, it also is power and money and control. And this is part of that. Yeah. Is there a cynical you, – you, you were using the word cynical, and we'll go back to the economy in a minute, David, but as a social issue, is there is there a cynical or other effort here – that kind of the Democratic Party is 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 making a push to get more people to spend more time in colleges and universities. I mean, this is the institution where you learn to no. become a Democrat. No, uh, I think that's just too ethereal. Okay. It's like, I, I'm sorry, but I know um, there's a couple of good economists out there. They're saying, hey, this actually hurts inflation because it promotes additional liquidity. Okay, right. it's, a, it's a good economic argument. I don't think that goes far enough in sort of explaining. Um, what explains this is this became part of the Democrat platform um, in the last couple of election cycles because they made a huge play with younger voters. You know, um, younger voters uh, that under sort of 35 population moved dramatically to the Democrats. Yeah. And when much of the middle class moved away from the Democrats, it's it's election it's election math and politics is math. Screw over the working class because you know half of them didn't go to college, so you know they don't have this debt. But their urban 
suburban college-educated voters who will have certain school debt. Um, well, you know, they vote for Democrats, let's incentivize them to keep doing that. I'm much more cynical. Now, you can make the supply-side argument that the most powerful thing we could do economically is not subsidize loan payments. Because that's functionally what this is. It's taxpayers who actually pay taxes end up subsidizing actually really high-income people for not having to pay their loan payments. Is you would be doing things to change the cost of education. Um, because every bit, uh, from left-wing groups to right-wing groups, what are the two things in our society that have gone up dramatically in cost in the last 20 years? Talk to me, Dave. Yeah. T- talk it, to me. Yeah, go ahead. Did I lose you there for a second? No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just contemplating. I'm contemplating. But the, two things, but the two things have gone up dramatically in cost are healthcare and education, and they're the two things that have the most government input. We, because we do this type of subsidization, distort the cost. It's like what's going to happen to electric vehicles? They're going to go up dramatically in cost because we're going to do additional subsidies too. The economy part of this, David, is 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 one of the things that's just making my mind real. We pass an Inflation Reduction Act. What about a week and a half ago? When did we do this? When did your call? Well, it wasn't a. Infl- it was called an inflation. Okay, reduction. fair enough. I, I, I take the emendation. That's right. It's, we, a, it's yeah. a massive handout subsidy. All right. So we do that. Do we we do that in an inflationary, obviously inflationary period that is supposed to help inflation by a few, what, what are they saying, um, $200 billion at best, and then this uh, comes... And, and, and remember, much yeah. of that wasn't for years and years from now when the rest, when the taxes kick in. Yeah, fair enough. And this plan is looking like $300 billion minimum up front and perhaps another $300 billion down the line. How is that good for inflation? It's not. It's not, but... but it's so much bigger, much more cynical than that. Look, I need you to look at the CHIPS Act. I need you to look at the Build Back Better 2, which you know they call the inflation bill. These are all massive spending bills. Now track the political money of the beneficiaries of all these subsidies. Who do they contribute to? Yeah, clearly. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it, David. Man, we need you. We need you in the majority. You going to make it to the majority, buddy? Um, look, I think we. The House looks good. The Senate is looking tougher. Um, a lot of our folks need to get off their knees and deal with the reality. This is still a tough election cycle. Um, it's not. The, yes, uh, six months ago, red wave. But with Roe v. Wade, with the Democrats getting organized, with them being fearful. Um, they're going to put up a hell of a fight. And our folks keep wanting to do cocktail parties yeah. and social events. Yeah. And Democrats are out walking door to door. That's it. That's it. All right, brother. Well, uh, let's you and I walk some neighborhoods uh, coming up. Oh, here. I absolutely. Okay. We'd love to have it. All right. Love to do it. David Schweiker, God bless you, sir. Godspeed to you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I think the thing I'm most offended – well, I, I can't say that about the st- student loan forgiveness issue. There's not one thing I'm most offended about. But one of the things that I don't think enough people are going to pick up on, and I'm glad Charles Cook at National Review did, that is amongst the things I'm most offended by, is that this is being done a constitutionally. As I said, a year ago, only a year ago, if you missed it, should I play the Nancy Pelosi again? If you missed it, this was the Speaker of the House a year ago at her press conference. She was asked about, you know, the AOC plans to uh, forgive student debt, Elizabeth Warren's concept. She was being asked and she obviously wanted to separate the Democratic Party from what she knew was a losing issue, which begs another interesting question. But this was Nancy Pelosi a year ago testifying or talking about the legality of a president wiping out student debt. Just just a sec. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would has to be an act of Congress. And um, uh, I, I, I don't even like to call it forgiveness because that – as I say, she she kind of wanders around a little bit the way she tends to do. But she's very clear that the and, and the law is very clear on this. Unless they look around at the vast web of federal legislation to figure out how can we do this, not whether we can do this, but how can we do this? And they come up with the HEROES Act, which was meant to help people in a national emergency or a war originally post 9-11 legislation. Okay, so what they're saying at the Department of Education in their legal memo says it exactly that the national emergency they are using to do this by unilateral action of the president and bypassing Congress is COVID-19. COVID-19, which is so almost over that even Anthony Fauci is leaving and says it's going to be with us until at least he's 105. That's 105 years old. So the Biden administration using COVID-19 as a national emergency two months, three months ago, three months ago, ended the use of Title 42 to enforce the border on the grounds that COVID-19 no longer represented a national emergency for that purpose. So COVID-19 is a national emergency requiring we spend $600 billion to bail out people with $10,000 of student debt or less, but it's not a sufficient national emergency when it comes to protecting the nation from the emergent problem of the border, which the administration doesn't think exists at all. The problem, not the border. They think the border is just fine. Issues and Insights uh, writes, as soon as President Joe Biden took office, the number of foreigners crossing the southern U.S. border illegally exploded. When asked about it in his first press conference in March of 2021, Joe Biden brushed it off saying, oh, this happens every year. Nothing has changed. Later that same month, March 2021, Joe Biden claimed that, quote, this new surge we're dealing with now started with the last administration, but it's our responsibility to deal with it humanely and to stop what's happening. Close quote. At his State of the Union address this year, he said, quote, if we are to advance liberty and justice, we need to secure the border and fix the immigration 
system. As recently as June, Joe Biden was claiming to be on top of this crisis, saying that, quote, as we speak, Mexico and the United States are conducting what is known as mirror patrols, joint operations to interdict criminals attempting to illegally illegally move drugs and migrants across our borders, close quote. He wasn't the only one throwing smoke. Vice President Kamala Harris in June of last year said, I am immensely proud to lead the workforce, the men and women of DHS, in executing our responsibility to secure the border. She claimed to be taking, tackling the, quote, root causes, close quote, of illegal immigration. And how many can forget how many times Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas assured us that the border is secure? The truly shocking thing about all of this is the mainstream press has let Joe Biden and the administration off the hook on a daily basis. They have zero interest in the border, of course, or did at least until the Texas and Arizona governors started busing a handful of the two million who have illegally crossed over to New York and Washington, D.C. When those cities got a whiff, of what border states have been suffering, suddenly it was a problem. By the way, notice what the problem was. The problem wasn't illegal immigration. The problem wasn't illegals flowing into our border. The problem was Abbott and Ducey. The problem was the Arizona and Texas, was the Texas and Arizona governors who were busing these immigrants to New York and Washington, D.C. That was the problem. Not that illegals were invading the country, but that they were being forced the liberals were being forced to cope with it that was the big issue oh now you want us to deal with this oh maybe we do have a problem yeah maybe we do this is a dereliction of duty of the worst kind for biden his top officials the supposedly free and independent press probably gets it the worst here because you can't take politics out of politics but the press has shown us how you can take journalism out of the media i suppose um Hearings are going to be fascinating. Hearings are going to be fascinating when we take back the Congress, hopefully also the Senate. You know what? So, too, might impeachment articles be. So, too, might impeachment articles. You tell me, what is the reason not to look into impeaching a secretary who says absolute lies about what is within his purview, namely the Secretary of Homeland Security standing over, presiding over a situation at our border. Two million illegals crossing the border on his watch, and he tells us the border is secure. You tell me what the proper response to that is, if not impeachment. Donald Trump got impeached twice, one for a phone call conducting foreign policy with the president of Ukraine, and the other for telling people to march peacefully and patriotically. That's cause for impeachment to the Democrats. What's cause for impeachment to the eradication of our country and the poisoning of our population? I'll ask it again. What's cause for impeachment in relationship to the poisoning of our population and an invasion at our border? Department of Homeland Security. COVID is now a national emergency because college students who majored in gender studies have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars in debt. A two parent intact family making two hundred and forty nine thousand dollars will get bailed out by a single mom making eighty thousand. I words fail. For those of us in the word business, 
We need new thesauruses. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're listening on podcast, we came in with Pleasant Valley Sunday by the uh, Monkees, written by Carol King. I saw Mickey Dolenz was interviewed on CBS, uh, on, uh, CBS the other morning, maybe two days ago. And uh, he's the last remaining one. I think that's right. And uh, I think I saw the last remaining two last year, right, in November uh, with uh, Nesmith and Dolenz. They were the last two now. As Agatha Christie might say, now there are only one. Portions of this show are brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. They're offering up a fixed no-load interest rate, up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's one run by really good people who are doing very well by helping others, doing well for others, by doing well for themselves, by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that, too. Check them out at investyrefy.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y, dot com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. You can visit them. They're local. They won't give you a sales pitch. They'll just tell uh, tell you about what it is that they do. And let it speak for itself. This week has been a, um, gosh, it's only it's only Wednesday, but this has kind of turned out to be Education Week for a lot of uh, a lot of reasons. We've been talking a lot about education, certainly yesterday and the day before the monologues, uh, and uh, this college loan debt forgiveness issue. Uh, this is going to be a long one. This is going to be a big one, and. Um, it goes to a lot of aspects. It goes to what it well, it, it covers a lot of different things, including the president's constitutional power. It covers um, the way we pay for college. It talks and imports issues having to do with the entire structure of college and, uh, and university student loans. It should involve involve the issue of what the colleges and universities themselves are sitting on sitting on when it comes to uh, their endowments uh, which you know in some cases are tens and tens of billions of dollars ASU alone has an endowment of over one billion dollars you go to your Harvards and Yales and you're at uh, pretty close to probably a trillion dollars worth of college and university endowments in this country uh, those won't be tapped that's a discussion that should be taking place. And it really goes to what it is that college is for, what it is that education is supposed to be about. I covered some of this in my monologue, and um, I was uh, happy to kind of discover an old speech uh, William Bennett gave when he was Secretary of Education to the Vocational Technical Educators Association. This would have been uh, circa 1986 on the importance of vo-technical, vo-tech, you know, vo- uh, vocational and technical training. And he goes into something that it would do us all well to remember, so long as we're allowed to still look to Thomas Jefferson and think that what he thought and said had some import, not only to this country, but maybe even to the world. It's a funny thing, you know, just if I can take a small tangent for a second. It's a funny thing that while we here in America, 
do everything we can to trample and trod upon Thomas Jefferson, uh, that, you know, immiserated people around the world, that is to say people living living in miserable conditions around the world, politically, particularly politically immiserating systems. Oh, you know, think of uh, the people in Cuba, think of people in China, uh, think of people in Iran, think of people anywhere in the world where, you know, the fear is the boot on the throat, when they engage in occasional organic uh, uprisings, protests, you think of Tiananmen Square, you think of uh, the Tehran Green protests in uh, 2009, you can look at the protests in Hong Kong from a year, two years ago, Uh, they resurrect Jefferson. They are happy. They want to concretize Jefferson's words. They march with American iconography. They march with copies of the Declaration of Independence. They march with paper mache statues of liberty. It's a funny thing when the people who don't have and are in major want look for you know, some kind of political relief. They look to America's founding in Thomas Jefferson. When we look to a political relief here, Increasingly, we look to Karl Marx. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Your dollar buys less today than a month than a month ago. Paper money continues to be worth less and less. I'm painfully aware of that. Every time I go shopping, you are too. The good news is that gold and precious metals typically hold their value when economies fail and fall, like now. Do you have confidence in this government? We just erased the Inflation Reduction Act uh, and all its imports. Uh, by uh, this new college uh, student loan forgiveness policy. Why would you put your full faith and credit in this government and the dollar that they are continuing to weaken? Real money has real worth. Gold is real money. So if you're interested in diversifying your investments, I want you to talk to the people at the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. I own precious metals from them. Seb Gorka does. Thousands of you already do as well. Check them out, MidasGoldGroup.com. They're happy to talk to you about purchasing physical gold and other precious metals. Or call them at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000, or MidasGoldGroup.com. So Thomas Jefferson, uh, I was rediscovered this from a speech Bill Bennett gave to vocational and technical educators as Secretary of Education in 1986. Uh, Thomas Jefferson sought to advise his fellow Virginians about the objectives of education. Uh, there were three major purposes. The first we might call the civic purpose of education. Our schools, Jefferson wrote, must inform their students of their rights, interests, and duties as men and citizens. They must give the student the ability to, quote, understand his duties to his neighbors, and country, and to discharge with competency the function confided to him by either, close quote. Our schools, he added, quote, improve the students' morals and faculties. That's certainly one of three purposes of education. In short, education should prepare our children for the cultural, social, and political milieu in which they live. It should help give them the rudiments of citizenship, decent behavior, and an understanding of rights and obligations. How far have we traveled from that one? Pretty far. Second purpose of education is what we might call the personal purpose. Jefferson advises that schools instruct children in the, quote, outlines of geography and history and enable people to express and preserve their ideas in writing. 
Education should develop the reasoning faculties of our youth, enlarge their minds, and enlighten them with the mathematical and physical sciences, close quote. It is these things which help prepare our students to fulfill their, fulfill their lives, not simply as economic or civic beings, but as people who think, feel, observe, read, enjoy the world around them, and work toward worthwhile dreams and professions. These are among the personal ends of education. How well are we doing on that? We've traveled pretty far from there, haven't we? Last is the utilitarian end of education. Jefferson puts it this way. We must give, quote, every citizen the ability he needs for the transaction of his own business, close quote. In other words, educators should prepare students for the next stage of their lives by supplying them the credentials and skills they will need right away, including those necessary to make a living. In this sense, all education should aim at the worthy practice of one's employment. All students, not just students who sign up for vocational education, should be encouraged to form a view and a goal of useful work. Here, then, are three essential purposes to education. The civic, the personal, the utilitarian. Of course, there is overlap. There may be differences over particulars, but these are things that we hope our schools will do for our students. We wish all our students to be good, and we want all our students to be good for something. As I have said and I have uh, reminded you, it's a great line from Henry Thoreau. It was used by others. But it's not well enough that a man be good. He must be good for something. So much for the ends of education. What are the means? How do these lofty ambitions affect what we teach and how and to whom we teach it. What is the significance of these aims to the curriculum offered students who choose employment from college or instead of college? I think most Americans would agree that where the civic ends of education are concerned, we don't even have agreement on that anymore. So any student in a university or college uh, up until, oh, I guess about the early to mid-1990s, we would have had general and broad agreement on the civic purposes of education. Uh, we would have had a broad agreement on the enlargement of the mind and the understanding, of course, of the operations and workings of our government. If we didn't uh, know the Constitution or how government works, we would learn it through school. We would learn it, learn it through university. If we didn't have a functional vocabulary, ability to write, read, and reason. We would learn it through school, through great literature, great teaching. We would learn it, obviously, in elementary, secondary, and college and universities. Today, that just seems not to matter anymore, does it? Uh, if you uh, go back to my monologue in the first hour, you'll hear me rattle off some statistics about what our colleges are teaching instead of this. You cannot, this is true of pretty much every college and university in America, with the exception of about five of them, you cannot study Shakespeare, you cannot study Milton, you cannot study Plato or Aristotle, um, you cannot study Virgil, you cannot study any of these things in colleges, universities, or for that matter, graduate schools, and, and, and expect to get a tenure-track job at a college or university. There is just no longer any interest in these things, in these broad educational 
broad intellectual pursuits that created, nurtured, and brought about what we roughly call or loosely call Western civilization. If you are a political science student or a political philosophy student or a government studies student, it's often all the same thing. Sometimes it's called politics. Sometimes it's called government. Sometimes it's called political science. If you are a student or a graduate student in those fields and actually think the founding of America was a good thing or a good model, if you are a scholar on the Federalist Papers, you will not outside of about five colleges or universities, find a tenure-track position open to you. If you find those things like the Federalist Papers and our Constitution, our founding, our civic institutions, if you found, find them something to revile, something to hate, something to dispose of, something to revolutionize, there you will find tenure-track positions. How are we doing on the civic parts of our education? Never mind the personal and never mind the functional. We're failing at all of them and we're bailing it out rather than changing it. Portions of the show brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. CoolTouch.us is the website. I use these people uh, for years. I have used Cool Touch for years. Chris Funk and his team, great people, great service, great customer service. You're not going to find anything better. All my friends use them. They have the same exact comments that I do. Cool Touch is just different. If you have air conditioning or plumbing needs, check them out at cooltouch.us or give them a call at 623-748-4942. 623-748-4942. If you missed my monologue, uh, it was in the first hour today. You can always get um, those things uh, every part of the show at 960 thepatriot.com. Bacha Unger-Sargon is going to be joining us uh, in the uh, at the top of the next hour. Uh, and we're going to talk about the student um, debt uh, payback uh, plan of Biden's and how it pits America, uh, American against American, and how in that pitting it is again putting the pinch to and giving the punch in the face to middle and lower class Americans. This is not the way Joe Biden would obviously try to sell it, is trying to sell it, but it will be the effect, just as it has been the effect for this administration and its leftist supporters to go after those that aren't in college, to pay for those that are, for the Mercedes Marxists and the Cadillac communists to be bailed out by people who cannot afford Mercedes and Cadillacs. We'll be back with Bacha Unger Sargon in just a few moments. Don't go away. I'm Seth Leibson. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.